1: Good morning and welcome to RIV Capital's Financial Results Conference Call for the quarter and fiscal year ended March 31st, 2021. I'm joined this morning by Narbe Alexandrian, President and Chief Executive Officer, Eddie Lucarelli, Chief Financial Officer, and Matt Mundy, Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel. Mr. Alexandrian and Mr. Lucarelli will make some formal remarks following which we'll conduct a question-and-answer session. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on June 3, 2021. For your convenience, the press release MD&A and condensed interim consolidated financial statements for the three and 12 months ended March 31, 2021 are available on the investors section of the company's website at www.rivcapital.com as well as on CDAR. Before we start, please note that remarks on this conference call may contain forward-looking information within the meaning of applicable securities laws about Riv Capital's and its investees' current and future plans, expectations, intentions, financial results, levels of activity, performance, goals or achievements, or any other future events, trends or developments. To the extent any forward-looking information contained in the remarks constitutes financial outlooks, this information should not be, uh, may not uh, be appropriate for any other purpose and you should not place undue reliance on such financial outlooks. Forward-looking statements are made as of the date hereof based on information currently available to management and on estimates and assumptions made based on factors that management believes are appropriate and reasonable in these circumstances. However, there can be no assurance that such estimates and assumptions will prove to be correct. Many factors could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. Financial outlooks are based on assumptions and subject to various risk, and the company's actual financial position and results of operation may differ materially from management's current expectations. As a result, RIV Capital cannot guarantee that any forward-looking statements will materialize, and you are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. Forward-looking information is made as of the date given, and uh, expect as may be required by law, RIP Capital undertakes no obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statement, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. For additional information on these assumptions and risks, please consult the cautionary statement regarding forward-looking information contained in the company's financial results press release dated Thursday, June 3, 2021, and the risk factors in the MD&A and the company's annual information form dated June 2, 2021. Please note that RIV Capital reports in Canadian dollars and all dollar amounts expressed today, unless otherwise stated, are in Canadian currency. I would now like to turn the conference over to Narbe. Please go ahead.
2: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today and for your interest in RIV Capital. This morning, we reported our financial results for the quarter and fiscal year ended March 31, 2021. I would like to begin today's call by providing some more information on what the past year has looked like for Rift Capital, how we got to where we are today, and what you can expect from us in the coming months. We believe we have an exciting strategy, the right team to execute, and hope that after today's call, you feel confident in the direction we are taking in the wake of the transaction we closed in February. Eddie will then walk through the financials and I will end the call with some more corporate and portfolio updates from the previous quarter. Matt Mundy, RIP Capital's Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel, will also join us for today's question-and-answer period. Since the closing of our transformative transaction with Candidate Growth in February, we have been diligently executing on our strategic pivot and launch into the U.S. market. While being in the U.S. is not a new goal for us, it has been something that we have been structurally limited in pursuing over the past several years. Whether because of regulatory issues or restrictions placed on us by the multiple voting shares, We were unable to pull the trigger on many investments even in some ancillary companies that we envisioned providing value for our shareholders despite meeting with hundreds of us companies developing relationships building in-depth theses and working tirelessly to navigate complex regulatory frameworks we could not legally invest in these businesses pursuing and then closing a transformative deal that removed these roadblocks became an absolute imperative for our team as we watched the US market evolve into what it is today. After lengthy negotiation, we closed a deal this past quarter that enabled us to separate from canopy growth and add significant liquidity to our balance sheet. Ultimately, we believe that this transaction provided us with strategic flexibility, returned substantial value to our shareholders, bolstered our balance sheet relative to our peers, and laid the groundwork we needed to launch in the US market. Moving forward, our strategy is to leverage our balance sheet public listing, strategic relationships and industry expertise to execute a transformative transaction focusing on the US cannabis space. The exact structure of this transaction is evolving as we identify the best opportunities in the US market, and we plan to make this pivot by bringing capital to operators that are positioning themselves for the burgeoning US market. We believe that are shifting that shifting our focus to operating companies, those that grow, process and market cannabis products better aligns the goals of Riv Capital and our shareholders, putting us on the best path for future sustainable growth. We believe that the societal acceptance of cannabis and regulatory momentum at both the federal and state levels makes now an ideal time to enter the U.S. market. Support for cannabis legalization is at an all-time high and is underscored by adult use legalization in 17 states. The designation of cannabis as essential in many states during the pandemic also highlights the growing acceptance of cannabis. While the exact timing and shape of federal regulatory reform remains unclear, we are optimistic that we will see progress in some form in the short term. We expect that these catalysts, which include more states legalizing and a growing consumer base, will create a solid foundation for our expectations in the U.S. market. By 2025, it is estimated that the total addressable market for cannabis in the U.S. will be in excess of $40 billion U.S. We also expect that M&A activity Which has heated up in recent months will persist as multi state operators position themselves for continued regulatory evolution. The U.S. market is a catalyst rich environment, with many operators having built a competitive advantage, and we believe that these factors, combined with current market trends, our expertise, and capital, make now the best time for RIF to attack the U.S. market. After reviewing these market trends and conducting a critical analysis of where we believe the market to be headed, We identified three key indicators for potential partners that we believe will lead to value creation for shareholders. First cost containment. We are focused on operators who continually work to reduce costs, produce high margin cannabis and future proof their operations through standardization and scale of operating procedures. Second, business model flexibility. Change is the only constant in the cannabis industry. We are focused on operators and management teams who demonstrate a willingness and aptitude for the rapid pivots that broader industry changes and maturation will require. And finally, a focus on CPG. As the market matures, brands will rapidly come to the forefront, hyper-focused on experiences, customer loyalty, and repeat purchases. We want to ensure that our partner has the CPG capabilities required to build with consumer demands. We believe that focusing on these three pillars will help us identify and partner with operators that are positioning themselves for where the industry will be in five, ten years from now. The industry will look substantially different than it does today, and we want to ensure that our next move takes us to where cannabis will be. I'll now hand it over to Eddie to discuss our fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021 financial results.
3: Thank you, Norbert.
2: and thank you again
3: to
4: everyone who has dialed into the call this morning. Today, I will review our financial results for the quarter ended March 31st, which represents the end of our 2021 fiscal year. I'll begin my comments by recapping our milestone transaction with Campy Growth, which closed on February 23rd, as this transaction had a significant impact on our financial results for the quarter. As you'll recall, in connection with this transaction, we disposed of our investments in the tariffs and exchangeable shares, Terracent Canada Term loan, Terrace Warrants, Tweet Tree Lot Royalty Interest, and Verit Mirabel Common and Preferred Shares. In exchange, we received approximately $118.4 million of cash and approximately $3.65 million shares of Canopy Growth, and we canceled all of the shares of RIV held by Canopy Growth, representing 51.7 million shares in total, inclusive of Canopy Growth's million multiple voting shares. Accordingly, this transaction eliminated our dual-class share structure. In terms of how this transaction shows up in our financial results for the period, we recorded the disposition of these financial assets at the fair value of the consideration received for each asset. Some of these assets were classified as financial assets at fair value through profit or loss while others were classified as financial assets at fair value through other comprehensive income based on the fair value consideration received for each asset we recognized a corresponding net change in fair value of financial assets in our statement of comprehensive income immediately prior to disposition whether that net change for a particular financial asset showed up in pnl or oci depended on the classification of that asset the closing of the transaction on February 23rd triggered a derecognition event for all of these disposed assets, and we replaced these assets on our statement of financial position with $118.4 million of cash, $160 million worth of canopy growth shares, and a reduction to share capital of $57 million. It is also important to note that the disposition of these financial assets triggered a series of taxable events for the company based on the fair value of consideration received upon closing. Total proceeds of disposition as measured on the closing date were more than $335 million, which, as you can expect, translated into very large capital gains for the company. Partially offsetting these capital gains for the March 31st, 2021 tax year were certain capital losses, particularly related to farmhouse, as well as, to a lesser extent, non-capital losses. Taking into account these various elements, we estimated the taxes we owed as of March 31st to be 17.5 million, which shows up as a current liability on our statement of financial position. The canopy growth shares that RIV received pursuant to the canopy growth transaction have a cost base for tax purposes that is approximately equal to the fair market value of these canopy growth shares on February 23rd. We anticipate that the disposition of any canopy growth shares subsequent to March 31st that occurred at a price below the February 23rd fair market value will result in a capital loss that the company can utilize to either reduce taxable income in the current taxation year or carry back the claim of refund in respect of taxes paid for historical taxation year. As we have previously mentioned, the strategic and financial merits of the Canby Growth transaction were quite clear for the company. Our financial results for the period ended March 31st further demonstrate the significant value that this transaction unlocked and the substantial liquidity that was added to our balance sheet. I'll now summarize our operating results for the quarter. Net operating loss before consideration of equity method investees and fair value changes was $7.1 million for the quarter, compared to a loss of $0.9 million for the same period last year. Operating income before consideration of equity method investees and fair value changes was $0.7 million for the quarter compared to income of $2.6 million for the same period last year. This includes the company's royalty, interest, and lease income, net of provisions for expected credit losses. On a gross basis, this income was primarily generated from the company's royalty interest in agrofarm, radical, and tweet tree loss, the venture investment in greenhouse juice, and finance lease with tweet tree loss, and was offset by a provision for expected credit losses on interest and royalty receivables of 0.1 million operating expenses were $7.9 million for the quarter compared to $3.5 million for the same period last year. Excluding share-based compensation, operating expenses were $7.4 million for the quarter compared to $2.2 million for the same period last year. The primary driver of the year-over-year increase relates to $4.7 million in fees recognized during the quarter that were directly, directly attributable to the canopy growth transaction. On a normalized basis, after adjusting for one-time items incurred in respect to farmhouse and the Kansas growth transaction, we were pleased to report that the company achieved its operating cost reduction target for the 2021 fiscal year. Our share of loss from equity-method investees was nominal for the quarter, compared to a share of loss of $3.2 million to the same period last year. As a reminder, pursuant to an election available under the relevant accounting standards, we pick up our share of profit or loss one quarter in arrears meaning that the financial results of our equity method investees that we reported for the quarter ended March 31st related to their financial results for the quarter ended December 31st, adjusted for any significant events that occurred up to our reporting date. The company's equity method investees include Greenhouse Juice, High Beauty, Leaflink International, and Radical. The net change in fair value of financial assets the fair value through profit or loss was a decrease of $19.8 million for the quarter. Compared to the decrease of 16.3 million the same period last year. The decrease this quarter was primarily driven by the negative change in fair value of the Canopy Growth Shares that the company received as consideration in connection with the Canopy Growth Transaction, as well as the negative change in the estimated fair value of our investment in the Terracent warrants, which were disposed of this quarter in connection with the Canopy Growth Transaction. There are several financial instruments in our portfolio that are classified as financial assets of fair value through profit or loss. A detailed breakdown of the fair value changes in these instruments is included in Note 10 to our consolidated financial statement, and descriptions of the related valuation methodologies and key inputs and assumptions are presented in Note 16. We're pleased to report that the historical volatility in our quarterly net loss as a result of the farmhouse CCAA proceedings and restructuring appears to now be largely behind us. You'll recall that as of December 31st, we had estimated the liability related to our financial guarantee of Farmhouse's $90 million syndicated credit facility to be $32.5 million, based on an analysis that we called the Farmhouse Recoverability Assessment. We updated the Farmhouse Recoverability Assessment as of March 31st, based on events that occurred during the quarter. Specifically, on March 3rd, we announced that, as a result of its sale and investment solicitation process, Farmhouse had entered a binding asset purchase agreement to sell various operating assets, including its greenhouse facility in Leamington, Ontario, and certain equipment located at that facility. Shortly thereafter, we announced a payment of $25 million to the lenders of the Farmhouse Credit Facility to partially satisfy the company's financial guarantee liability. This payment reduced the principal outstanding on the Farmhouse Credit Facility to $65 million and reduced our remaining liability in respect of the guarantee from $32.5 million to $7.5 million.
3: Then, as
4: of March 31st, we have revised our estimate of the remaining liability on the farmhouse guarantee based on the net proceeds expected to be received pursuant to the farmhouse asset purchase agreement, as well as the cash that farmhouse was projected to have available for distribution upon conclusion of the CCAA proceedings. As a result of our analysis, we further reduced the estimate of the farmhouse guarantee liability from $7.5 million to three million, The $4.5 million recovery of this expected credit loss was reflected in our P&L for the quarter, and the estimated $3 million liability is presented on our Statement of Financial Position as at March 31st. Income tax recovery for the quarter was $2.6 million, compared to income tax recovery of $1.3 million for the same period last year. Income tax recovery for the quarter was driven mainly by a current income tax recovery of 15.3 million related to net capital losses and non-capital losses generated and utilized in the quarter. Offset by deferred income tax expense of $12.7 million related to the reversal of certain deductible temporary differences the company anticipated at the end of our previous fiscal quarter. It is important to note that the company's current income tax payable at March 31st is driven primarily by current income tax expense for the quarter of $33.7 million. Related to the disposition of the tariffs on exchangeable shares, and variable common shares, which is presented in other comprehensive income, which I will talk more about in a moment. After consideration of operating income, operating expenses, equity method investees, fair value changes, other farmhouse related items, and income taxes, RIV Capital reported a net loss of $21.5 for to the quarter, compared to a loss of $30.5 for the same period last year.
1: Below
4: the net loss line, we capture the impact of net changes in fair value of financial assets at fair value for other comprehensive income, which is presented net of tax. On a net of tax basis, the net change in fair value was an increase of $86.3 million for the quarter compared to a decrease of $6.3 million for the same period last year. The net increase this quarter was primarily attributable to the positive change in the estimated fair value of our investment in tariffs and exchangeable shares which we disposed of this quarter in connection with the Campy Growth Transaction, and was partially offset by a decrease in the estimated fair value of our investment in barrett Maribel Common Shares, which we also disposed of this quarter in connection with the Campy Growth Transaction. A detailed breakdown of the fair value changes in these instruments is included in Note 11 to our Consolidated Financial statements, and descriptions of the related valuation methodologies and key inputs and assumptions are presented in Note 16. Overall, comprehensive income for the quarter was $64.8 million, compared to a comprehensive loss of $36.8 million for the same period last year. Total assets, as at March 31st, amounted to $335.4 million. This includes $127.9 million of cash and $143.9 million of canopy growth shares. Narbe will momentarily provide an update on the activity involving the Campy growth shares subsequent to the end of the reporting period. Total liabilities as at March 31st amounted to 23.9 million, primarily relating to the company's current tax liability as a result of the canopy growth transaction of 17.5 million, as well as the estimated remaining financial liability associated with the company's guarantee at the farmhouse credit facility of three million. Moving on to cash flows. Cash used in operating activities was 5.3 million for the quarter compared to $0.7 million for the same period last year. Cash provided by investing activities was $94.1 million compared to cash used in investing activities of $2.3 million for the same period last year. The net cash flow from investing activities was positive for the quarter due to the cash proceeds of $118.4 million received in connection with the canopy growth transaction, offset in part by the $25 million guarantee payment made to the lenders of the farmhouse credit facility among other items. Finally, cash provided by finance and activities was one million for the quarter and primarily related to proceeds received from the exercise of stock options. I will now turn
2: it back over to Narve
3: to conclude our prepared remarks.
2: Thanks, Eddie. I will now go over some corporate and portfolio updates for and subsequent to the quarter before beginning the Q&A period. I'd like to start by providing an update on farmhouse further to the information Eddie just provided. Subsequent to the quarter, Farmhouse completed an asset purchase agreement to sell its facility and certain equipment to a company related to Sensei Ag. Concurrent with the closing of the sale, we made a $7.5 million payment against the Farmhouse Credit Facility, which together with previous amounts paid, fully satisfied all outstanding obligations pursuant to the facility. We are now entitled to any cash available for distribution upon termination of Farmhouse's CCAA proceedings. Our team has worked tirelessly over the past quarters to ensure that the issues at Farmhouse and our exposure to them do not hamper our ability to pursue our strategic pivot. And we look forward to now turning our complete focus to executing on our investment strategy and imminent launch in the U.S. market. Before jumping into portfolio updates, I wanted to provide several updates on three monetization events that occurred subsequent to the quarter. First, between April 1st, 2021 and June 2nd, 2021, we sold 3.6 million common shares of Canopy Growth for net proceeds of $106.7 million. As of June 2, 2021, we no longer own any Canopy Growth common shares. Second, we divested our position in Nova, formerly YSS, selling all of our common shares for net proceeds of approximately $1.4 million. Finally, we sold a new Brunswick property to Tweet Tree Lot for $4 million. Together, these divestments represent a continued effort to return capital to our balance sheet in order to ensure we are in the best possible position to take advantage of opportunities in the U.S. market. We also had several exciting updates from our portfolio during and subsequent to the quarter. In the retail portion of our portfolio, High Beauty launched the High & Buy CBG Collection, a collaboration with LIGOS. High Beauty also announced that its products are now available in Cult Beauty and Glosswire. High Beauty's products are now available at 42 retailers worldwide, accounting for 2,340 stores in the US, Canada, Hong Kong, United Arab Emirates, and the European Union. Greenhouse Juice also continued to add to its distribution network in the quarter, announcing that its products are now available in Health Plan in Ontario and Thrifty Foods and Costco in British Columbia. Greenhouse Juice also announced that it is now a certified B Corporation, reflecting its consideration for all stakeholders and the environment in its business practices. Dinaleo had an exciting quarter, launching two new brands, SunShower and Thrive CBD. Both brands are available in British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Ontario, and represent Dinaleo's continued commitment to raising the bar for quality, consistent products available to consumers across the country. Subsequent to the quarter, Dinaleo also completed a $9.7 million oversubscribed equity financing. Moving to the technology portion of our portfolio, Headset had several updates subsequent to the quarter. It launched its Insights Premium platform in Pennsylvania, marking the first time a full market read of Consumer Insights has been available for the state. As part of this launch, Headset noted that Pennsylvania's medical-only market brought in approximately $909 million U.S. between April 2020 and March 2021. Headset also released several reports highlighting trends and growth in the broader U.S. market. In April, it projected that cannabis sales in the U.S. will reach approximately $23 billion by 2022. These projections echo our estimates for the U.S. market and underscore that our strategic pivot is happening ahead of where a significant amount of value will be unlocked in the U.S. In the plant sciences part of the portfolio, ZECAL released groundbreaking results from its trials applying its novel photoseed trait to hemp. Photoseed, a trait technology that increases a plant's ability to capture carbon and sunlight, translating into additional energy and therefore better nutritional composition, increased oil composition in hemp biomass by up to 50% relative to controls. ZECAL anticipates that photoseed hemp could produce approximately 800 pounds of oil per acre nearly triple vat of soybeans, the largest oilseed crop in North America. This, idea, this new data validates our initial investment thesis that photo seed could be transformational for the hemp sector and eventually in the cannabis sector. I'd like to end today's call by reiterating management's excitement for the next phase of the company as we explore acquisition and investment opportunities in the US market. We believe that this strategic pivot will open new doors for value creation. When combined with our strong liquidity and a balance sheet that stands out for many of our peers, the next iteration of Rift capital will be a wealth capitalized to continue expanding our footprint across the U.S. This concludes our formal remarks. Eddie, Matt, and I will now be pleased to answer your questions. Operator, please begin the question period.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star, followed by one, on your touch-tone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two. If you're using a speaker phone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Graham, uh, Graham uh, Krindler from uh, 8 Capital. Graham, please go ahead.
5: Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my questions. Uh, first question, I was hoping you could provide some more color on the, uh, the current opportunities that you're seeing with respect to the transition uh, to an operating model in the United States. Uh, could you give us any, any sort of uh, goalposts here? How many prospects you've assessed so far? Are there any LOIs out? And uh, what areas of the value chain or specific geographies um, you know, have you found particularly interesting in that process so far? Thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Graham. I mean, we've seen a a few different permutations and and several opportunities of both large and small companies across the U.S. Uh, We're still on pace from our previously disclosed timelines for um, an announcement of a deal and closing of a deal uh, sometime this year as well. Uh, So at at this point, we don't have any more information to provide, but we look forward to disclosing uh, more information when the time is right.
5: Okay, understood. Thank you for that. Um, with respect to the existing investment portfolio the, you know, and considering the divestiture activity that happened subsequent to the quarter, how would you characterize the current portfolio in terms of you know, investments or opportunities that you see as having maybe significant upside or, or synergies in a potentially operating model versus you know, other investments you might deem as uh, non-core and would look to divest that moving forward? Thank you.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we've, we've always believed that we, we've invested in cutting-edge technologies and, and cutting-edge companies across the, the cannabis value chain. Um, as we transition to, to becoming more of an operating company and, and launching into the U.S. market, some of these assets uh, do create synergies across the border. Uh, others don't. Um, however, that's not to say that, that we're looking to, to sell anything uh, in, in the near term. I, I think we're, we're, we're opportunistic when Uh, Offers do come about, but we do believe in the long-term outlook of of many of our portfolio companies, Uh, and and so we we we, we want to hold on to them uh, to to see that through.
5: Okay, understood. Then my last question before I get back in the queue here, with respect to the disposal of the Canopy Growth shares, um, the implied price uh, I think comes out to around $30 Canadian per share, which is about a 30% decline from uh, the closing of that Canopy Growth. Uh, arrangement there, so I was wondering if you could provide some some more details in terms of the actual timing uh, of the divestiture of those shares subsequent to the quarter. What played out in that decision um and and how it how it worked out in terms of the uh, total net proceeds received? Thank you
2: yeah from from the perspective of the decision I, I think that the spirit of the deal that we had with candidate growth was was not to hold on to the shares but uh to to take on that cash um and looking back at the transaction, we would have taken all cash uh, in that situation, but with the transaction consideration was divided between cash and shares. So uh, we, we wanted to add um, the, the cash on our balance sheet to, to just really prepare ourselves for the U.S. market, um, and we, we did that through uh, multiple selling opportunities uh, throughout the quarter
3: and subsequent to the quarter.
5: Okay. That's it for me. Thank you very much.
1: Your next question comes from John Samparo from CIBC, John, please go ahead.
3: Thank you. Good morning. Um, I was wondering if you could add some commentary maybe on changes you've seen in M & a opportunities since our last call when it comes to valuations and, and how you characterize the difference in valuations in, in private markets versus public, uh, say, versus a few months ago.
2: Thanks for the question, John. Um, I, I think you, you do see that the private markets and the public markets do typically lag each other in terms of changes in valuation multiples, especially um, as as things soften in the public markets. When uh, the public markets are hot and, and uh, multiples are increasing, the private markets quickly catch up to it. But when when things cool down, uh, the, the private markets do lag behind the the, the public comps. Um, we do see that valuations do range uh, according to what the what the what where the company is within the value chain and what what it's actually um, working on and where it's located as well. So um, typically you do see single state operators at a a lower multiple than multi-state operators because of their inability to, uh, and and the capital, the inability to have capital to go and expand into new markets versus larger MSOs, uh, public MSOs have a higher multiple and private MSOs um, have, have a somewhat lower multiple as well. Um, if I take a step back from there, John, I'd say that uh, there, there is a, somewhat of an arbitrage opportunity here where you do see that the, on the private side, some of the multiples are lower for both single-state operators and multi-state operators relative to what you're seeing in the, in the public markets. So there, there's uh, m and opportunity all across the board, and you see that not only with our discussion, but with many of the discussions with, with our peers as well in terms of uh, lo- looking at opportunities to consolidate um, within certain markets. Uh, and, and expand reach to to consumers.
3: Okay, thanks, and, and sticking with M&A, um, any evolution on your thinking on, on whether you'd look to acquire just one name versus multiple assets, and, and would you need to be a majority holder on any deal that you did, or would you be open to essentially being a minority holder on, on a larger ticket transaction?
2: I mean, at a high level, I think we're looking at different permutations, and uh, um, I mean there's there's different opportunities there's opportunities to, to look at um, a large platform investment there's opportunities to look at um two to three medium-sized players and and smash them together so uh we're we're at this point looking at all of the opportunities ahead of us and and we're we're trying we're assessing which of those opportunities are best uh to provide value for our shareholders and we look forward to providing more information on this but when the time comes
3: got it um Without sharing specific plans, um, do you plan to, to monetize further assets in advance of the US acquisition? Or, or maybe how would you characterize the likelihood of, of monetization of any other assets within your portfolio currently?
2: In, in no way, shape, or form are we are we looking to do a fire sale of any of our portfolio assets. I, I think since our announcement of the Canopy Growth transformative transaction that we closed in February, we've had a number of parties reach out to us looking to um, acquire our interest or uh, acquire one of a, one or more of our portfolio companies. So we're working through those details and looking at the opportunities. And the, the lens that we always have is what's, what's best for returning value to our shareholders and what, what best um, uh, helps us pivot to, to our imminent launch uh, uh, as, as an operating company in the US. So we're, we're consistently uh, assessing these opportunities, but there's nothing to note, um, there's nothing to disclose at this point actually.
3: Understood. And then uh, just one last one.
2: One um, valuation was
3: the Denalio equity financing done at? Are you able to share that? Yeah, we can comment on that, John. That was at uh, $2 a share. Okay, that's perfect. All right, that's all for me. Thank you very
1: much. We have a follow-up question from Graham Crindler from A
3: Capital. Graham, please go ahead.
1: Hi, Graham, are you there?
5: Hi there. Good morning. Sorry. Sorry about that. I uh, appreciate the follow-up here. Just as a as a quick follow-up with respect to a housekeeping item, given all the uh, divestiture activity happening subsequent to the quarter, would it be possible to update us on what the cash balance uh, in RIV Capital looks like as of uh, today or, you know, start of the month?
4: Yeah, happy, happy to line that Graham so you know we've, we've got the cash that's reported at the March 31st on the March 31st balance sheet of around 128 uh, million you'll see in the subsequent event note in the financial statements the net proceeds received from the canopy growth uh, share disposition subsequent to quarter end so that's about 106 million to add on to that there um, we do have the two liabilities that are on the balance sheet of March 31st which was the 17 and a half million. Tax liability associated with the Campy Grow transaction, and then the $3 million liability that we estimated uh, in respect of the financial guarantee on, on Farmhouse. And the only other real large uh, cash inflow item that we would have announced uh, in the last 48 hours was the inflow on the divestiture of the Tweet uh, Tree, tree lawn asset, so $4 million added to the balance sheet vis-a-vis uh, that sale.
5: Okay, so just to confirm there, the disposal of the, uh, the Nova shares that was in the quarter and within the March 31 cash balance, correct? No, that was subsequent to the quarter. It was just a smaller number. So you'll see in the subsequent event notes that it references
1: 1.4 million there. Understood.
4: Okay, thanks for that.
1: There are no further questions at this time. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.
0: Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdrafts up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.